1: naming and shaming seems to work at least against china's ministry of state security iranian cyber espionage continues its regional focus wi-fi chip flaws could expose encrypted traffic to snoopers someone maybe from abroad is pretending to be the u.s democratic national committee tips on backing up files ransomware gangs up their game and that unmarked small box on your car yeah you can you can totally take that off From the 2020 RSA Conference in San Francisco, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, February 27, 2020. Those wondering if the U.S. policy of naming and shaming threat actors can disrupt those adversaries may find some evidence that it does by considering how the Chinese organizations named in the Equifax breach indictment seem to have vanished from cyberspace. It appears that Chinese services, at least, are sensitive to this kind of treatment. CrowdStrike founder Dmitry Alperovitch said yesterday at RSAC 2020 that it appeared China's Ministry of State Security has had to reset and retool. Comment Panda, Stone Panda, and Gothic Panda have all gone quiet. Whether this amounts to more than a restructuring or a reorganization remains to be seen, but as anyone who's been through a government agency reorganization can attest, even that's disruptive enough. Alperovich said that the Chinese seem unusual in this respect. The Russians, the Iranians, and the North Koreans, to consider the three other familiar adversaries, tend to shrug off American indictments and move on. Cyberscoop and SC Magazine report that Dell Secureworks has concluded that Iranian cyber operations have maintained their customary steady tempo since Quds force commander, Major General Soleimani, died in a U.S. drone strike. There may have been some retaliatory surge. But for the most part, the activity looks like business as usual. Researchers attribute the ongoing regional cyber espionage to the Iranian threat group Cobalt Ulster, also known as Muddy Water, Seedworm, Tempdot Zagros, and Static Kitten. The government's most effective have been those of Turkey, Jordan, and Iraq, with organizations in Georgia and Azerbaijan also appearing on the target list. The typical attack method has been spearfishing. Liesel Franz serves in the Office of the Secretary, in the Office of the Coordinator for Cyber Issues at the U.S. Department of State. She stopped by our booth here at RSAC to share her inside perspectives on the global world of cyber diplomacy.
0: Our office was created about nine years ago to make uh, reflect the international nature of cyberspace, the need for dealing with cyber policy as a foreign policy issue be able to build relationships and coalitions with other countries to deal with you know, the global issues and the global problems that we've seen.
1: So what is the day-to-day like? What sorts of things, are the interactions that you and your team are taking part in?
0: Well, we cover sort of what the cyber policy can cover a lot. One of that we focus on is international security. Um, that's sort of the bread and butter for the State Department to deal in multilateral venues. We also work within the interagency with other departments and agencies on um, bolstering what we call cyber due diligence, which is more along the lines of cybersecurity as we see it here at RSA. Mm-hmm. We work with others on the messaging and and promoting um, efforts to combat cybercrime. Uh, we talk about sort of global governance of the internet. We talk about internet freedom, those kinds of issues that sort of run the gamut. And we work a lot within the department with the other offices that deal parochially with those issues and the interagency, and we take that abroad. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. We work sort of in um, what I would call three concentric circles of venues. One is our bilateral relationships with country to country or our work in regional organizations or regional sub-regions around the world, but that would include things like the security... um, regional security organizations like the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe or the Organization of American States or the ASEAN Regional Forum, things like that, and then take it even further out into the big multilateral organizations like the United Nations.
1: My sense is that many nations have been uh, reticent to draw sharp lines in the sand when it comes to behavior in cyberspace. It's... um, First of all, do you do you think that perception is accurate and, and do you have any insights on that?
0: Um I think it's I think it's accurate um to say that it's um hard to draw yeah. right lines a lot of the time and so maybe that's what the reticence is. You know, as you know, I mentioned we've been working on these things for decades, but it's really only a couple three decades, right? It's not 50 years or 100 years. And so things are fairly new. And it's kind of hard even to draw a bright line around things like definitions. Mm -hmm. Um, So one person's application um, is another person's cyber weapon, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Sure. I don't like to use that term. but That's what I mean. We can't even sort of draw clear lines around that. Or what is one person's security is another person's content control. So how to even draw a line is sometimes hard. So maybe that's what you're sensing.
1: The sense that I've had is that it's, it, for, it could be that nation states are reticent to draw lines in the sand because their own intelligence organizations may be taking advantage of some of that ambiguity themselves. So it's, it's in their best interest to not be too specific about certain things because if we let this ambiguity stay out there for a certain amount of time, that may be in our own interest.
0: I think there's a point to that yeah. which is why we as diplomats yeah. <laughs> spend a lot of time negotiating text and the kinds of things that we out like the outlines of this framework for responsible state behavior that I mentioned is a way to put what I think are clear expectations mm-hmm. of state behavior but allow for the innovation and communication and you know technologies which frankly are not only Held by states, right? Yeah. To to uh, to develop, to move, and you know, if there's some ambiguity for countries, maybe that's maybe that's reflected in some of that. But uh, the bottom line is to be able to articulate what is acceptable and what isn't.
1: Yeah. What would you like um, people to know? I'm I'm thinking specifically folks who are cybersecurity professionals about the work that Mm. your department does, the Department of State. Are are there any uh, things you feel aren't getting the attention they deserve?
0: It's notable to me, just as anecdotally, that, you know, I've been coming to the RSA conference since 2006, and I've been in and out in government. So I've Represented both industry and government here, mm-hmm. but always in the policy space. And it used to be that the policy track at the RSA conference would have a few smattering of people in the room. Mm. The panel I just came from, we were we were full, oh, and so I think that the that there is a greater understanding of what exactly governments do in this space and and how we work together and that there is an I mean I think probably some people might have been surprised that our office is only 9 years old that doesn't mean cyber diplomacy wasn't happening before that but that was when it was sort of coalesced into more regularized processes yeah
1: yeah, yeah a recognition of the yeah. of, of its status and, ne- and yeah. necessity I suppose
0: and since in the last 9 years other countries um, have developed Uh, roles or offices similar to ours in their foreign ministries. Many manner of countries have done that. Russia, China, Estonia, Germany, you you name it, the Netherlands. And some of them are here. What I would like people to come away with maybe is the idea that we need to keep talking about the nexus between network security and international security. That there is a nexus there and we're working it.
1: That's Liesl Franz from the U.S. Department of State. ESET researchers report finding encryption flaws in Cypress Semiconductor and Broadcom Wi-Fi chips. While the risk is relatively limited, it remains possible that attackers could intercept data transmitted wirelessly. They call the bug Crook, and it's been assigned the identifier CVE-2019-15126. ESET says Crook can cause vulnerable devices to use an all-zero encryption key to encrypt part of the user's communication. In a successful attack, this vulnerability allows an adversary to decrypt some wireless network packets transmitted by a vulnerable device. According to the Washington Post, persons, possibly foreigners, impersonating the Democratic National Committee have sought to establish contact with presidential campaigns. The impersonation was initially reported to the DNC by Senator Sanders' campaign. The National Party would like all campaigns to regard contacts purporting to be from the DNC with appropriate skepticism. The UK's National Cybersecurity Security Center wishes to remind everyone, and everyone includes you and me, my friends, that ransomware can also affect online backups. Too many enterprises have thought they were good to go, only to find out that, well, their backup files, conveniently connected to their network, were also encrypted. We've had occasion to observe that a ransomware attack should now be regarded as also a data breach, the hoods are threatening to release their victims' sensitive files to give them additional leverage in extracting ransom. Bleeping Computer says the gang behind Kibi, which, you'll recall, operates as an affiliate marketing scheme, is telling its criminal clients not only to exfiltrate data before they encrypt it, but also to threaten the victims that they'll tell the stock markets the victims have lousy security. It hasn't occurred to the hoods that they could equally well just short the stock and then work their reputational damage. It's a good thing that only nice people listen to this podcast, right? And here's some news you can use from the state of Indiana. We've sometimes been moved to ask, suppose you found a GPS tracker on your car. Could you just unplug it and take it away? We're asking for a friend, you understand. Well, anywho, this case came up in the Hoosier State where some guy the police were tracking... Legally, we hasten to add, the guy, one Derek Huring, was suspected of dealing methamphetamine. Well he suddenly drops off the grid. One minute you're tracking his Ford expedition, the next blamo. He's gone, baby gone. So anyway, they figure out that he'd found the GPS tracker, probably wondered what it was, unplugged that bugger, tossed it into the back seat, and went about his business. So John Law, being pretty sore at this guy, decides to ask for a search warrant for Mr. Hearing's house and his dad's barn because the loss of signal counts as probable cause for concluding that Mr. Hearing stole the GPS tracker. Right? And so they got their warrant. But on Mr. Hearing's appeal, the Supreme Court of Indiana says no. That's unreasonable. And so all the drug contraband and the handgun they found during the search is out as fruit of the poisoned tree. I mean, come on. It's an unmarked box stuck to the guy's SUV without so much as a logo or a serial number, so how could taking it off count as stealing? The tracker didn't even have a sticker on it that said something like Property of Warwick County Sheriff Do Not Remove Under Penalty of Law. You know, like those tags on my mattress that I've always been afraid to mess with. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the VP of Engineering for Cybersecurity at WebRoot. David, here we are, RSA 2020, you yep. and I together. What do you think? What uh, You've been walking around the, the showroom, a been, li- or the, yes. the, the floor a little bit, taking things in. Uh, what's your take so far? Where do we stand this year?
2: Um, well, last year we had solved cybersecurity. I don't think you, uh, <laughs> you may not, not remember that. That's right um that was right so uh so why even have the show this year well i had questioned why we would have the show this year but i've i've realized i think this year it's to help um the, the employment problem we have with cybersecurity professionals mm-hmm. um, we have so many of them out there trained who can't seem to find jobs that is true that um we've this year it seems like we've come up with a bunch of product ideas that are going to require companies to hire dozens and dozens of more people Because the products don't do anything but detect, analyze, and alert you. Uh, Apparently, we've decided to stop protecting
1: as an industry. Yeah, it's very interesting. Huh. So what someone needs is a product that takes all of those other products and then feeds their, their output into that product. And does something. It does something. (laughs) Exactly. What would you propose that it does? Uh, Well, maybe
2: it would block a threat Uh or, you know, if it's identified a threat um, and it can remove it, maybe we could remove that threat. But honestly, in all seriousness, there is a lot of analyzing going on, a lot of detecting. And I know from an enterprise perspective, and, and a lot of folks here really are looking at enterprise and government, that's what they want because they want to be able to chase that trail. right? But it seems like everybody's forgotten that. There are smaller organizations who can't afford to have an army of people sitting there monitoring, looking, seeing what's going on. I'm going to call us all out because I'm an engineer in this industry. It's a little bit easier to detect something than it is to remediate it or block it because you have to, you know, look for false positives and things like that. So are we getting a little bit lazy because we're just detecting and analyzing? Lots Mm. of analyzing going on, David. Lots of alerting. Um, and then we're dumping it off to humans to figure it out. Do you think that,
1: that it might just be that that is this year's shiny object? You know, every year at RSA, some things bubble to the top. And a couple years ago, it was artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, you know, is that just the... It, it the, could be. The, the, where we are it, as you know, that's come a fair around thing. in cycles?
2: But and it's funny because, I mean, what was it, five, six, seven years ago, everything was... Um, Sim the right. analyzing, and, and maybe we're back to the analyzing because there's nothing really new and exciting. And AI got us away from that for a while. And I mean, like I said last year, AI fixed everything, so yeah. so we were done. <laughs> um, but but I, I think you could be right. You could be onto something there. And it, but but I feel like we're really focusing on governments and and large businesses. And everything you read in the news anymore is about you know small. Local governments, small businesses, Mm. medium sized businesses, medical centers, we're not really addressing those markets. And I know it's harder, you know, you want your big 30x multiplier, you got to be locked into a government or enterprise. But as an industry, it seems like we should be able to do some things that help those, those smaller institutions and, and, and go that extra step to actually help them, not just alert them.
1: Is it, is it a, a missed opportunity? Is there a market opportunity there for somebody to go after those uh, people who aren't being uh, served? You know, I think, I think, There
2: is, but again, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is uh, revenue, recurring revenue and making a profit, I'm not trying to be silly here, but if that's your goal, there's a lot of market opportunity. But I think a lot of companies, you know, I've been coming here seven, eight years now, they're really looking to get bought. And if you're looking to get bought, you need that new sexy thing that that somebody's going to pay a large multiplier for. So it
1: depends on what you're really looking for. What do you hope to, um, to take away from a conference like this? As you walk around and you take things in, I mean, obviously you're here, Representing your company, and so there's a there's a sales and promotional component, but you want to learn things too. Yes. Um, as you walk around, what are the things you're hoping to pick up? What are the take homes for you from a show of this scale? Uh, that's great. Like uh, the big thing
2: um, usually is what's the vibe? What's the feel? Is there yeah. anything underlying tone? And to, to kind of end on a positive note, um, David, we talked about this last year. Um, there was a huge, I believe, in the last year or two, understanding the users aren't as dumb as the cybersecurity people wanna make them out to be. Hmm. That if we can show them the right thing to do, if we can ask them to, to follow these procedures, most of them are gonna do it. Now, is there, you know, is there Bob down the road that every time somebody sends them a link, he clicks on it? Right. Yes, no, right. we gotta deal with the Bobs of the world, <clears throat> yeah. right? Yeah. But, but in general, people, want to do the right thing and if we're very clear with hey we're trying to do this not to be difficult but it really helps protect us as an organization people are really signing up for that and where am i going this year um the the conference is about the human element right and i'm making fun of the, the 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 product i'm a vendor so i like to make fun of our you know us as well yeah uh the that I'm making fun that the human element is they want you to hire a bunch more cybersecurity people. Right. <laughs> but, but to look at it the other way, I think there's really getting to be a more and more understanding that if we can work with the people using computers who are inside the organizations we're trying to protect, they, they actually are able to really help more. And and we're, we're seeing that come through, which is kind of nice.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here, David. and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI,